Okay, so this week's parsha is parsha's lech lecha. Lech lecha literally means go for yourself. That's the translation of the word lech. Lech means to go, and lecha means for yourself, to you. And God is talking to Abraham, Avram, Avinu. He says like this. Go, lech lecha, go for yourself. From your land, from your um, I'll read it in the in the earth scroll, even though sometimes they don't have a perfect literal translation, but sometimes it's easier to read. Go for yourself from your land, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. That is the first verse in the parsha. The second verse, let's just continue on. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who curses you, I will curse. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. Very loaded three verses. But let's just take it, um, take the, let's just focus on the, on the test. This is in essence one of the tests, one of the 10 tests that God tests Abraham. He tests him and says, go travel to a faraway place. He doesn't even tell him where it was. We know it was Eretz Israel, it was Israel. But he doesn't tell him where it is. He says, go travel, leave your, your place you grew up in, leave your family, your relatives, and go. And Avram goes. So on face, on face value, this seems like a tremendous test. If someone is a born and bred, um, how do you say, St. Louisan? St. Louisan. And his, his family lives in St. Louis, and his grandparents live in St. Louis, and his cousins and his uncles, his children, grandchildren, whole family, cousins, all live in the same city. And God comes over to you one day and says, pick yourself up and go travel. Go travel. Go to the place where I'm going to show you soon. Just pick up and travel. It's a, it's a very difficult test. Okay? Self-explanatory. Very, very um, explanatory. Very self-explanatory what the difficulty of the test is. Then, then we read the next verse, and God seems to really, really, really minimize the test. Okay, the next verse, we read it before. I'll read it again. And I will make from you, if you listen to me and you do this, I will make from you God. This is not a, an angel, for sure not even a human. It's God himself promising. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless, etc. Basically, God tells him, you go and I will give you all of the blessings. Don't worry about it. In fact, Rashi tells us all of the different specific things that get lost during travel and during the moving period when someone moves, I should have mentioned Dan, right? Dan, you pick up and move to Chicago, but that's never going to happen. So we're not going <laughs> to. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. For, I'm sorry for picking on you. Sorry. <laughs> um, um, so basically, um, so back to us. So there's a few things. One thing that we lose oh. is, is a person has to rebuild his, his name. He's at his, is right. You build a life, a life mm-hmm. after a whole life of, of people looking at you, seeing your accomplishments, seeing your your virtues. When you move to a new place, you have to re uh, 
He's saying reestablish yourself. So God tells him, don't worry. You will have a great name. Don't worry, you'll be strong. All these different things that, that the potential pitfalls of moving to a different unknown city. God promises Abraham. God promises Avraham. Don't worry. You'll be okay. I'll take care of you. I will give you all of the blessings. So then, now we could look at the test and say, okay, what's the big test? What is so great about this test? God promises him. I imagine if you go to, if you have a test, right? God says to you, I want you to go and pick up and move to New York. Move to New York City. Move to somewhere else. Move to faraway place. But don't worry. I promise I'll give you all the money you need. <laughs> I will find you a house. I will find you a job. I will find you a, sh a shul to daven in. I will introduce you to all of the people there. And God himself is vouching. Okay, I'll take that. I can hack that. That's not such a big deal. Seemingly not such a big deal. So a lot of the commentaries, a lot of the, they, uh, they talk about it. They ask this question. They say, okay, a test, yes. But a test to the magnitude to the level of all the other tests. We know that that Abraham um, had to jump into a fiery furnace and potentially live, uh, potentially um, give his life away. That's that's what that's what we call a test, right? He had to he had to give his potentially. He was tested by sacrificing his child. Right? That's a test, right? These are. I mean, I mean. To the nth degree, these are these are the most serious things a person can do. But and this test doesn't seem like it, it makes the cut to be on the list of the top ten. So the commentaries they they speak out a beautiful thought, which is as follows: Sometimes the test isn't necessarily the actual action of traveling, of going, of passing the test. Rather, it is, there are two versions of saying this. I'll say them both. Rather, it is our feelings. How do we feel when we have to do, when we pass the test? So we do it. We pass the test. Avram Avinu travels. He makes the trek. How does he feel about it? Does he feel a little bit, right, disgruntled? Is he a little bit upset? Is he just like, oh, another test, another thing God wants me to do. Or is he happy? No questions asked. I'm doing this for Hashem. I'm doing this for God. And Avram, the, the test, the true test on the level of Avram Avinu, on the level of Abraham, was to see how he would react and how he would, how he would do the test, how he would travel, how he would make the trek, what his feelings were. And that was the test. And obviously, sometimes in our life, we have the same style um, test, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, where we, we have an issue, we have a struggle, whatever it may be, or we have a, a hardship. We have something in the family, a medical issue, whatever it may be. And there's two levels to pass the test. One is to pass the test and say, I'm in God's hands, God wants me to be here for whatever reason. And the second level, the higher level, is to say, I understand that God wants me to be here, and then I'm, 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 I'm okay with it. It doesn't make me feel bad. I'm, I'm happy about it. This is where God wants me to be, and I'm okay with it. Okay. That's one, that's one 
idea. The second idea, the second answer, the second thought that comes out from this is like is as follows. When God promises a person, especially one of our forefathers, Abraham, God promises him the riches. And God promises Avram the prestige and all of the blessings. Now, the litmus test is, does Abraham, does Avram do it for the reward? Does he do it for the blessings? Or who does he do it now just for the intention that God tells me to do this? I'm doing this for the sake of God. That is a test is much more difficult. Most of us here in our generation, we, 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 we struggle with this a lot. In fact, on the contrary, most of the things we do, we do for, we need incentives, which is not a bad thing per se, but to the level of Avraham Avinu, the level of Abraham, his test was pure intentions, to see how pure his intentions can be. God tells him, you will have all of the blessings. Don't even worry about it. In fact, you can even say that God was adding. He was adding to the test. God says, you go travel far away place. And if, if the test would be now to let's see if you can travel to a far away place and then live a, a, a life where no one knows you and you're poor, then the test would be purely a physical one, purely a, a practical test. Now the test is an emotional test. It's much more of an emotional one. How am I going to separate, not me, how is Avram going to separate himself from all the blessings? Is he going to go and say, I'm going because God tells me I'm go I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about money. God promised me money. Or he's going to go and say, God, I'm doing this just for you. I'm doing this for you. So that perhaps is another re another way to understand what the severity, I guess, or the high level of the test was. Okay. So let us just continue with those verses. So I want to talk about a few points over here. Um, I'll read it. Let's read it inside. God says in verse number two, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Can anyone here, now I'm going to open up the floor. Can anyone here define the words, and you shall be a blessing? What, what is that supposed to mean? You shall be a blessing. I go and give you, I, I, I go to, I choose any one of you and say, and you tell me, Rabbi, give me a blessing. And I put my hands on your head and say, you shall be a blessing. And you say, Amen. So now, what is that supposed to mean? I guess it means that he'll be a blessing to the world in general. That wouldn't be a very good answer, except, no, no accepts, except that, that in the next verse, it literally says, and all of the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. So yeah, I it, think it's the opposite. It's the reverse of what Steve just said. And it comes out in the second verse that as a blessing means you are going to be who people bless because of whatever they have. 
they're going to they're going to see their blessing coming through you to them. That's good. That's good. That's very good. That's very good. So all so this is this is a very good um, um a very good explanation. So and, and we see many times in the Torah, and I don't mean to take away Leslie and Steve, because this is true. But many times in the Torah we see that there are different levels of, of understanding. There's the basic, simple level, and then there's a deeper um called drush, a deeper understanding, which is a little bit simple, it's more like a it's symbolized in the Torah. And like you, what you guys said were 100% is 100% true. The Gemara, the Talmud, in Mesechta Psachem 117b. So, me and Jake, if anyone sees Jake's little name on the screen, he was he was here before. So, we're actually learning Gemara in the, the tractate Psachem. So, one day we'll get to 117b. Now we're holding in around page 20. So six or seven years later, we'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> so in 170B, Rashi by us, actually, Rashi, the commentary, Rashi on our page actually quotes it, this, this Gemara. And he says like this. If anyone knows, I'll read it inside if I have a sitter here. Right? I don't have a sitter here, so I'll say it by heart. Right in the beginning of Shemona Esrei. Shemona Esrei, our Amida prayer. Begins like this. Baruch Hashem. Blessed are you, God. Elokeinu, our God. Elokei Avroseinu, and the God of our forefathers. The next six words are Elokei Avraham, the God of Abraham. Elokei Yitzchak, the God of Isaac. Elokei Yaakov, and the God of Yaakov. Three of our three patriarchs. And then we'll just zoom to the end of that. This is the first blessing. The end of the first blessing is Baruch Atah Hashem. You are the source of blessing, or blessed are you, God. Anyone know the rest of the of the of the blessing? It's Magain Avram, the protector of Abraham, or the shield of Abraham, according to Art Scroll, I think. The protector of Abraham. So obviously, I think we mentioned this in the Parsha class before at some point. Because it's a it's a famous idea, a famous idea that we've probably touched upon sometime. Why does the beginning of the bracha, the beginning of the blessing, we mention all three of our patriarchs, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? And at the end, in the blessing, at the end of the bracha, we only say, Magain Avram, a protector of Abraham. What happened to the other ones? So the Gemara says, this is the meaning of our Apostle. Our Apostle says, and you shall be a blessing. What that means is, you, Abraham, shall be the blessing at the end of the, at the end of the bracha, at the end of the first blessing of Shemona It will be only you. The Jews will all, they will all um, bless all of the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And with you, with you, they will means to end off or to seal. So the end means the end of every blessing is called a chasima. So with you, with you, they will end off the blessing. With you, they will sign off. Says the Gemara, that is the meaning our Pasach, and you shall be a blessing. Only you, only Abraham, not Isaac, 
not Jacob, only you will get the honor, so to speak, of having the bracha without any of the other ones, just you. So we have Avram himself gets the honor of being on the last blessing. The question is, why? What happened? Why? Okay, great. We got the definition of the Pasuk. We got the definition of the verse. Now we have to figure out why. What's the big deal? Why, why are we taking everyone out? So there's two beautiful answers. One is more of a, one is more of a practical answer, and one is more of a, of a, of a, a nice um, thought. Um, I, said again, I guess a, whatever the word is, a, uh, I guess after I say the answer, you'll tell me how to describe it. So it's like a, more like a thoughtful answer. It's more like a nice, beautiful thought. So the first answer is very practical. Since we know, I think, we all know that the different patriarchs, they each excelled in different areas. Abraham excelled in chesed, kindness. Isaac excelled in, in avodah and tefillah, prayer, and more holy things. And Yaakov, Jacob's, um, excelled in Torah, study of Torah, truth, MS. Truth was one of Yaakov's traits. So the Torah is telling us we may get a little bit confused and think that there are different branches. There are a few different branches in Judaism. One branch that focuses on chesed, one branch of Isaac focuses on tefillah, and a third branch. That is not a kosher, not a kosher thought, not a kosher idea in Judaism. The Torah tells us there's only one Judaism. Judaism started with the trail of Judaism. Judaism started with Abraham. He was the person who started Judaism. We end off the blessing with only Abraham's name and implying that Abraham was the one who started off everything. They all took certain midos, certain character traits from Abraham and they took what they what they felt connected to and they perfected each character trait, each person to their own character trait. But the Torah is reminding us, don't forget that it's all one religion. It's all one religion and it's all coming from Abraham. Let's not get confused and think there's more than one track. There's one religion. And it goes, it goes without saying, I, I don't have to, I don't necessarily have to have to give any examples, but just throwing it out there. Nowadays we can look around and we see different uh, different areas, the Hasidim look completely different than the Lithuanians and the Svartim, they all look different, but we all have one goal, we all have one God, we all have one thought, we may each specify different areas, specialize I guess you would call it in different areas we may connect to different areas in different ways, but we all have one goal in mind, our goal is to connect to Hashem in the way of the Torah and as the, uh, my rabbi used to say that our goal is to be a Torah Jew, is to be a Jew that follows the Torah without any added uh, commentary. Our goal is to try to be a Torah Jew. That is the goal. That is the, 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 the idea where the Torah tells us, Magen Avraham, the shield of Abraham. And in fact, you could really add in and say, the shield of Abraham, what protects us? What keeps us all whole? What keeps us all connected and strong? Is that we all have one goal. There's only one goal. 
we're not fragmented into all these funny different pieces. When we focus, sometimes we may get a slightly, sometimes we may get slightly, um, I guess you would call it fragmented. But in fact, in fact, the way to keep ourselves strong and the way to keep ourselves going is to try to connect to everything that we have in common and to try to connect to our common goal. And of course, what is the common goal? To connect to God. And our common goal is to connect to the Torah and connect to God. A little bit oversimplified, but that's the idea that we're trying to bring out. That is the first idea, which is a very beautiful, practical message. The second thought is a beautiful thought. And this I'm almost positive I mentioned before. If you heard it before and you remember it, great. If you don't remember it, that's why I'm saying it again. So here it goes. Avram Avinu excelled in Chazet. Yitzchak excelled in Tefillah. In Avoda, we're going to call Tefillah because our connection to Avoda is, is we're not so, we don't really live in the clouds. Like they, maybe, per, perhaps they used to in the olden days. I don't remember. I wasn't there. Our connection is Tefillah is, and Yaakov's connection was Torah. The high level of Torah that they used to learn in the olden days we don't have that anymore. We don't have that anymore. In the olden days, they used to know, for example, the whole Shas, the whole Gemar, Talmud, all the volumes, if everyone saw yeah. full Shas, all the volumes completely by heart. They didn't even write it down. It wasn't even written down. Because they started forgetting the names and all these different things, so they wrote it down. Now, just one example. I'm not going to dwell on that. But we don't have the same level of Torah learning. Even the biggest tzaddik and the biggest tamachacham, the biggest Torah scholar today, still doesn't have the same level as they had in the old days. Tefillah, the high level of tefillah, the high level of prayer that they used to have in the <coughs> old days. And also, we don't have the same level of tefillah. Now that we're, we're coming closer and closer to the times of Mashiach, to the times of, of, of the end of days. So with what merit do we have? With what merit will we have to get redeemed in Mashiach? So the Gemara is telling us, I think, I believe this is from our mayor Leblin, famous Leblin Arav, who was the one who started the Dafiyomi, among other things. He has such a beautiful idea, such a beautiful var. He says like this, the... One thing that we still have that's on a significant, extremely high level is chesed. Chesed, kindness. We've spoken about this many times, touched upon this last week. The high level of chesed that we have, that is one attribute that has not been diminished over the years. So the Gemara is saying, with you I will end off. With Abraham, with your midah, with your character trait, I will end off not only the blessing in Shimon Azari, the gullas, the exile. The exile will end with the coming of Mashiach. <clears throat> How will we merit the exile being completed? <laughs> with your character trait, with the character trait of chesed, with the character trait of giving, of kindness, that we will still have at a high level, even, even, even when we go fall very, very low, and we're on a very, very low level in all other areas, there's one area we will stay strong. That's chesed. Says of Mayor Leblin, says of Mayor Shapiro, the Leblin Arav. That is why we end up with the blessing. 
with Mug and Avram, because Avram is going to protect us, so to speak. Avram, his midah of chesed, that will be the cause. That will be the reason. That will be the the way we will be able to merit. That will be the way we will be able to merit the coming of Mashiach. Okay. That is such, I think it's such a beautiful, powerful verb. Powerful verb. I have a beautiful story this year, by the way, because I read it, I read it, I just read a story this morning. I was preparing for the class. I really wanted to share this story, but I, I decided to do something very silly today, and I wrote bullet points in the email. So that means I'm going to have to cover all those bases. So, so I don't know if I don't know if I'm going to have I don't know if I'm going to have time to to say this story. It's such a beautiful story. I have to say it over. So, I, I ask everyone if you want to hear the story after the class. Lee Nether, I will say this story. Um. So yeah. let's just let's just continue. With the parish, we continue on like this. Avamavinu travels to Egypt. He travels to Mitzrayim. He stays there. Whole story with his wife, Sarah. Not going to get involved. I'm sure other people have gotten involved many years. Could be I spoke about it last year. I don't remember. He comes back. He goes down. He's a poor person. He comes back. He's wealthy. Why is he wealthy? Because God, um, I'm sorry, not God. God promised him wealth. That's that's for sure the main idea. We're going to touch upon this. And then he goes to Egypt, the whole story with his wife. Um, Paro, Pharaoh, decides he wants to make sure he is happy. So he gives him unlimited tons of presents, tons of gold and silver and animals. And Avram is leaving Mitzrayim, he's leaving Egypt with an tremendously family, tons of wealth. He's a fabulously wealthy person. And he's there with his nephew, Lot, who also got a, a, a huge um, chunk of this uh, wealth. What happens to Lot? And what happens to Avram? The, the Torah tells us Avram Avinu returns back to the base Achsenai, to the uh, I wouldn't call it hotels, but whatever you want to call it, the hostels or the houses that he stayed by on the way down to Egypt, he returned on the way back up to the same houses. So there are different reasons why. The Torah derives certain laws from this. Torah tells us that if a person stays in a house, he should return to the same person when he goes back the next time. Otherwise, people are going to think that there was something wrong the first time. Let's say you go to... Um, Whatever it is, let's say you go to Chicago for for Shabbos and you stay by the by the cones, and then you go back six months later and you don't stay by the cones. So someone's gonna think there's something wrong with the cones. They didn't give you any shampoo. They didn't give you toothpaste, and therefore you're not staying, not going back to them, right? But therefore the Torah tells us always, just like Abraham, just like Abraham, go back to the same place. Okay. There's another thing that the Torah. Um, the commentaries tell us that we can learn from here, which is that Abraham, when he went down to Egypt, he was poor. He probably stayed in very, very small, decrepit, rundown places. Torah is telling us on the way back up, he was a wealthy man. He did not all of a sudden flip the switch and stay in five-star hotels. No, no, no. Same place. When he went back up, he stayed in the same place. The wealth didn't change him. He stayed the same person. The wealth had zero impact on him. Okay. 
what happened to Lot? His nephew Lot. Lot, no, that's not what happened to Lot. All of a sudden, Lot, we see until now, Lot was a good guy. We see, we see he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't snitch on on Abraham when 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 they were in snitch, whatever. He didn't give them up, right? He didn't tell anyone that Sarah was in a box. Sarah was in a box. She was hiding. And Lot kept his mouth shut. Lot probably could have gotten a great reward by finding the king of wife. Kept his mouth shut. He was a good guy. He wasn't the bad guy. And all of a sudden, he ends up in Sodom. The worst place. Terrible place. What's he doing? What happened to him? Lot couldn't handle money. He, I mean, whatever. He handled money by letting it get to him. As all of a sudden he got money, all of a sudden he ends up moving off to Lot. He can't handle. He's him and Avram of, you know, not getting along anymore. Because Avram is still, we'll call him a poor person. Not really, but he's still living a life like a poor person. Didn't let the money get to him. And all of a sudden, Lot's this wealthy guy. He's all of a sudden he wants to sit on the in, in Yiddish, want to sit on the Mizrachvant, want to sit on the dais, right? All of a sudden, he's this Mr. Guy. He wants, in, in by the Hasidim, the, the rich guys, and the, they get they get shishi, the Ali of shishi. So mm-hmm. this guy, all of a sudden, he wants to get shishi and shul. And he, all of a sudden, he's, he's, he's Lot is this wealthy guy. So we see that Lot, the money got to him, and he went totally off the rails. He ended up in Sodom, the worst place, the worst of the worst. And Avram, didn't let it get to him. Okay. Beautiful idea. This is what to learn from this. Many, many different uh, ideas um, of how uh, money and this and that. I, I'm not really, I don't think I'm on the level or the, to talk about how to handle money, how to deal with money. That's not my, my nisayo. It's not my challenge. I don't have too much money. I can't try to give anyone advice on how to deal with money. But there's what to learn about this. If you read up in the in the, in the books and in the, in the commentaries, there's plenty of information that you can you could you could take from here. I'm not going to get into it, but I do want to get into something very interesting. Right after this story, basically, the the Torah tells us the famous story about the four kings fighting the war with the five kings. In the whole story, the four kings and the five kings, and Abraham, the the, the what's his name again, the. Um, the, I think it was Og Malchabashan, big giant, he runs away, tells Abraham, you should know that your, your nephew Lot was captured and you go and uh, you should go save him, right? He wanted to marry Sarah. He assumed and there was no way that Abraham, Avram, could do anything. He'll for sure get captured. He would marry her. Not very, uh, not L'Shem Shemayim, as they would say. He's very, he had plenty of ulterior motives. Now, he did not do it with the pure intentions. He did it for completely uh, evil intentions. But be it as it may, Abraham of Romavinu comes, and he famous Medrash tells us that he had special sand. He threw the sand. God created a miracle. The sand all turned into arrows. Each each grain of sand turned into an arrow and a miss and a, and a, how do you say it? An arrow and a, a spear, and they ended up winning the war. Phenomenal miracle. The king of Sodom comes to Abraham and says something very interesting. It says like this. 
is in verse number, it's in chapter 14, verse 17. It's like right in the middle of page 65 in the English, in the art school, Chomesh. I'll just read it to you. The king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from defeating Khadar al-Aymer and the kings that were with him, etc., etc., etc. Verse number 21. The king of Sodom says to Abraham, give me the people and take the possessions for yourself. I want the people, I want the captives, you take the possessions. Why, where exactly is there a negotiating thing if you're not sure, but you're captured. Imagine this guy, chutzpah of this, of this king. He's captured. He's you know, taken captive. The whole thing is, the war has totally gone south for him. Here comes a guy, random guy, you never met, I mean, he was famous, he was Abraham, but Totally, he came to save his nephew, performs a miracle, saves all of you guys, and here you come and you're negotiating with him. <laughs> the, 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 just the chutzpah of this king. Anyways, moving on. What do you, how, who do you think he is negotiating with this guy? He just performed a miracle. God clearly just won the war for you. It had nothing to do with anyone. Nothing to do with you. And all of a sudden you're negotiating. Give me the captains. I'll give you the spoils. As if it's his spoils to get. Be it as it may. <coughs> How does Abraham respond? Abraham responds as follows. I li- he makes a shavua, he makes a, a, an oath to God and says that if I so much take as a, if, uh, if, sorry, if so much as a thread to a strap, or if I should take anything of yours, so you shall not say, it was I who made Abraham rich. Abraham says, I will not take a single penny from you. Why not? So that you should not be able to say that you made Abraham rich. The first question is, what's the big deal? Why couldn't he just take some money? He deserved it. I would say a bad, a bad, bad Jewish joke, but, but should I say, he's a, you're Jewish after all. Just take it. It's free. Just keep it. <laughs> but I shouldn't say. Fine, take it back. Take it back. Dan's not happy with me. The, either way, the point is, just, just, what's the big deal? He deserved it. You worked very hard. You ran all the way. Just take the money. And B, it's, he wants Hashem. He wants Hashem to to get all the credit. Oh, here you go. There you go. So, like Linda just said, the verse itself really answers my question. Why? Because it says. So you shall not say it is I who made Abraham rich. He doesn't want him to minimize the Kiddush Hashem. He doesn't want to minimize the, the great miracle that God performed. He wants the whole story to be about God. He doesn't want to take anything away from this. Very interesting thought I had. Very interesting question I had, which is as follows. This question has been bothering me for many years. If I was as old as some of you, I would say it was bothering me for 40 years, but I'm not that old. It was bothering me for at least 10 years or 15 years, okay? I must have, I must, my, my kids didn't let me sleep last night. I'm a little bit overtired. So this, this question has been bothering me for many, many, many years, which is like this. Why does he not want to take money? He says, because God promised him riches. He wants God to give him riches, okay? 
So what does he want? He wants it to rain down from the heavens gold. God has emissaries and emissaries that that's what that's that's how God gives. Right. And in fact, he just as if any of you have any um, memory from like five minutes ago, he just became fabulously wealthy from the king of Egypt just moments ago. Didn't seem to have any issue with that. This is a, com a compelling question. This is a question that has been bothering me for many years. Now, I can't say that I, I have done complete research and I, I, I don't, could be there's a better answer out there. If anyone has a good answer, please share with me. But I, I thought of an answer, which I think is really, really the truth. The question may be more powerful than the answer. I think it could be, but I think the question, the answer is 100% truth, which is as follows. It's very, very nuanced. So let's try to get it clear. When Paro and Pharaoh pays, gives money to Abraham, what is the purpose of the, called the gift? What is the purpose? In essence... It was a dowry. It was a dowry. Okay, that's true. If you learn that it was, if you learn completely that it was a, a dowry, then that would be that wouldn't solve my question no. fully. So that may be a good point, but that's one, that's one, one idea. There's another re reason why he gave him the money, which is he took Abraham's wife away from him. And there's a whole story and he is giving Abraham his wife back. And he says, go and he gives him unlimited amounts of money and jewels. One of the reasons why he gave him so much wealth was to, so to speak, to pacify Abraham, to pacify him, to make him, to try to keep, so we'll call it, keep him quiet, so to speak. Abraham went through, and, and really, and Sarah and Sarah, they really went through a difficult period of time where they were separated, she was in his house, it was a whole situation. So Pharaoh says, you go, he kicks them out. He doesn't let them stay in Egypt. But you go back to your to Israel. You go back to the land of Israel. And I'm going to give you all this money and be happy with it. Enjoy. Stay away, so to speak. That Don't you think it was for Shalom? For part of me? Well, don't you think that, that, that Paro want that, that Abraham, both of them wanted Shalom? No, yeah, I'm not saying it in a negative way. Even if, yeah, they wanted to make peace. I'm not saying it in a, mm -hmm. in a negative way. My point is, it was not a re, it was not a, a a reward, so to speak, for any effort on anyone's part. It wasn't something that he deserved for something he did that he accomplished. So therefore, if anything, there was no way for Pharaoh for Paro to go and start parading. I made Abraham rich, because if anything, Pharaoh wanted to. To move on, move past that whole story, move mm. past that episode. He's not going praying in the streets. By the way, you know Abraham, the richest guy in the world. <laughs> I was the guy. No, no, no. Abraham, the richest guy in the world. He's the flaw. He's the flaw in my story. He's he's rich because uh, that story, right? He's trying to keep it away from it. But that mm -hmm. type of riches is not something that minimizes the name of God. The flip side with this story with the king of Sodom, 
he's trying to, so to speak, pay Abraham, give him the booty, give him the spoils of the war. He says, you work so hard, you won, you won the war for us, and you deserve all of this money. And then, as, right, this is the whole story, this is in the history books of the, of the land of Sodom, which didn't last very long, because it got... Right, and the end of didn't make it to the end of the parsha. It got flipped over. But in theory, <laughs> the story goes that he 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 was go look. I made it. he would have said I made Abraham rich. And remember this Abraham guy, yeah. So he became rich because of our whole story, our whole war. And he can now take this and parade this this around. He can say I made Abraham rich. It wasn't the money that Abraham had anything against. Abram didn't have anything against the money, per se, because God promised him to be wealthy, that he's going to be wealthy, and God has many different messengers. The issue was literally, it's in the passage, it's in the verse. So the king of Sodom should not say, it is because of me that Abram was rich. That is the issue. That was the issue that Abram said. Abram says, I don't want to have anything to do with any little bit of anything of any human being claiming that I'm rich. To that type of money, I don't want to have any connection there. Right, but it was trace money as well. Abraham yes, yes, yes. Not, yes, trace money. That's, yes, that is a, a true point. That is a true point. It is hard to, it is hard to, to, to figure out how kosher the Egyptian money was, though. So I, I'm not convinced that that answers my question. But either well, way, you be said it, that Abraham... But you said that Abraham wasn't affected by the money. So he, he, all these things could go on, but he, he still, his wealth was his connection to Hashem. That's why he was wealthy and, and had nothing to do with material things. Right. Okay. I, you, everything you're saying is true. 100% true. But the, the, I'm not sure, I'm not sure where we're going. You're saying it's true that the money, yeah. Oh, you, you're adding on to my point. You're saying that, yes, God, Abraham, Avram did not have any issue with money. In fact, uh, Ramesha Feinstein, Rabbi Feinstein writes in his saver that it's specifically not that Avram tells him, No, money I have, money I need. I'm he had the largest network of, of Kirov rabbis, he was, the, he was the biggest Kirov rabbi probably in history. He had tens and tens of thousands. The Rambam, Maimonides says he had tens and tens of thousands of students. He, he did tremendous amounts of of chazad. He, he used money. He needed money. He had a tremendous organization. That wasn't the issue. The issue was not money. Specifically, the issue was that it was going to minimize in the, in the Kiddush Hashem. It was going to minimize in the level of, of, of that, that he, wanted to, he wanted it to be that anything he gets has to be very clear path directly to God and not anyone claiming that they have any connection to it. Okay, so that is the end. Um, everyone feel free to hang up if you want. I would like to share a story though. Okay, I'll, I'll keep the recording on just because it's a beautiful story. I read this story today. It's about the parasha because it talks about Emuna, And Emuna, Emuna, really in essence comes from, from, from all the way back from from Abraham, because Abraham, his, he believed in God. He was the first person to recognize God in a, in a, in a true, deep way. And we're not going to get involved in Noah. We talked about him last week, how he was different. But 
whole different story. He lived in a he lived in a world full of idolatry, and he recognized that there was a God. He believed in God. So I read the story today. Just it's just a beautiful story. So um, it goes like this: There was a Jew, a Yid, who was davening. He was praying in a shul in Manchester, in England, on Simchas Torah. And like most shuls in Simchas Torah, it was a long davening, a long prayer. There was dancing, and this shul especially was a very, very long um, celebration, and it was. 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 3.30 in the afternoon. And they're just about finished. They're just about finished the service, the prayer. The only thing left is the final Kaddish, the final mourner's Kaddish. Right? They finished the Lenu, they finished the whole thing. Final mourner's Kaddish. Okay? And there's one old Jew in the back starts saying Kaddish. He's saying the words really, really slowly. Yes, Kaddish. And he's choking up. He's crying. Emotional. Tears streaming down his cheeks. And this Jew, this visitor is looking at this person and he's like, uh, you know, I'm saying you're an emotional guy, but like, we all got to go home. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's go, let's go. Right? And he's, Shimei, Rabba. And then he's continuing on. He's crying. And he's emotional. Everyone else in the show seems to, to not mind his long um, emotional Kaddish. But this Jews, he's this guy, this visitor, you never met this guy before. He's getting a little bit bothered. He wants to go. Finally, by the time Kaddish is over, he already is so intrigued that he already decided he's not going to go home. He's going to go over to the guy and ask him, what is going on? Why is this such an emotional Kaddish for you? So he goes over to the guy and says, Shalom Aleichem, what's your name? He says, my name is Daniel. Okay. What is the story with your Kaddish? Why are you so emotional? What's going on? And the guy smiles. Not the first time he's told over the story, apparently. He says, have a seat. The guy's like, yeah. uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's going to be a while. So, no way, it's not going to be so long. So he says like this. I, with a group of friends from my town, were caught by the Nazis during the Holocaust. And I was the only religious Jew in the group. The only religious Jew in the group. And all the Jews in the group, as we got shoved onto the cattle cars, all the irreligious Jews were mocking me. They were laughing at me. They said, where is God? Is God going to help you? And I told them, says, says that even if a sharp sword is on your neck, do not give up hope from God. I told him, God could save us within the, with a blink of an eye. And as we were driving, and two days later, we're still squished in these cattle cars, and some of the people haven't even made it. 
and there's still the people are jeering, jeering me. Where's God? Is God going to help you? And I say, never give up hope. Never give up hope. God could save within the blink of an eye. We get shoved off in the cattle cars. We get sent into the concentration camp. We get all our clothes getting taken off. All the meager possessions that anyone even thought about bringing taken away from us. And again, they're jeering him. Where's God? What happened? Is he going to save you? Is he around? And I repeat it. God can save us with a blink of an eye, with just like that. Flick of the fingers, snap of the fingers, God can save. And then we're in the concentration camp for a few weeks. And then we get round, we all get round, round up, and we get put into these the infamous showers. Showers that don't have water come out of them. We all knew something, this is it. And in the gas chambers, in the gas chambers, still, still bothering me. They're still jeering me. Say, where's God? Is he going to save you now? Still, still you believe in God? And I close my eyes and I cry out that God can save me. Even in the last, even in the last moment, God can save me. And the showers turn on. And the gas starts pouring out. We start choking and gagging. And all of a sudden, the door opens. And German soldier, a Nazi with a mask, face mask, comes in, puts his hand in, pulls, grabs random, pulls someone out. And that person was me. And the Nazi says, we need one more guy to some sort of specialized machine. We need one more person to work it. And just like that, against all odds, I was saved. Hmm. Sounds like a real storybook story. But this is the truth. And that day was Simchas Torah. And as the guy, guard, as the guard pulls me out, my friend, one of them, shouts out at me through the gas. Says, you were right. You were right. Please have us in mind and say Kaddish for us because hmm. now we know that you are right. So Daniel turns to the guest and says, now you know, now you know why I'm so emotional today. My emuna, my belief in God, my honest, true belief, and we can't even imagine that level of, of emuna. So that belief saved my life and I'm saying Kaddish now because at the last moment, too late, all of my friends realized that this Amuna is real Amuna. And this Amuna saved my life. That is obviously, that, that is why I am so emotional in this moment, in this time. Of course, you could take any message out of the story if you want. I'm just trying to, just, I just thought it was a beautiful story that talks about Amuna, it's a belief but whatever ever message you want to take out of it, that wasn't it wasn't I wasn't trying to take a message out of the story. I just think it's a beautiful story. Anyways, that's that's the story. Thank you. That is a great story.